think when we look at demographics around the world, Elaine, and then mm -hmm. if we look at demographics here in Canada, we know that we have an aging population in Canada. We know, I think that it's roughly 7 million Canadians are already over the age of 65, and that will continue to grow in years to come. And therefore, that means that that neurosciences, that neurological conditions related to aging and so on, they will continue to play a significant role in our considerations in the healthcare of the future. We need to be working together now to understand the pressures of an aging population on our healthcare systems. And we need to understand how we want to help our Canadian patients age gracefully and independently and with the quality of life that they deserve, that we all deserve. And so I think it is just such an interesting time to be working in the neurosciences. And, and Roche, um, you know, we're really proud. We're now the number one company in neurosciences. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today has held a number of leadership roles within the pharmaceutical organization. Prior to this, she was the vice president of the Federal Government Affairs and Federal Provincial Territorial Issues for Canada's research-based pharmaceutical companies. In fact, she has had a number of communication and advisory roles for various ministerial individuals in the Canadian government, to include being the press secretary to the Minister of the Environment. A lot to talk about today, but before we get into that, here is a brief message. U.S. Private Capital Forum Go Real 2023 launched now until the end of March, with on-demand sessions offering attendees the utmost flexibility to access industry-specific content and deals on their terms. It will bring together over 100 speakers from across Europe over a broad agenda covering private equity, venture capital, real estate and private debt. For details, visit www.eurosforum.org. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Bridget Nollet is the president and CEO of Rush Canada Pharma. Responsible for the growth and success of the Canadian Pharmaceuticals Division, she leads a diverse team of nearly 2,000 employees from Rush's Canadian Pharmaceutical Headquarters in Mississauga, Ontario. This is home to five different areas of Rush business, commercial, informatics, pharma technical operations, procurement and product development. Since joining the company in 2006, Bridget has held a number of positions to include Director of Government Affairs and Health Policy for Speciality Care at Roche Canada, Head of Global Health Policy Team, Integrated Franchise Leader for the Rare Diseases Franchise at Roche UK, and most recently as General Manager for Roche Belgium and Luxembourg. In her various leadership roles, Bridget has worked with patients groups, established a global policy function, and supported the evolution of Roche's work with global health institutions like the World Bank and the World Health Organization. 
She serves as chair and board member to a number of groups and has previously served on two federal election campaigns, including supporting the then Canadian Prime Minister, Jean Chrétien, during the 2000 federal election. Okay, eager to start. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Brigitte to Heads Tour. Delighted to have you here today. Thank you, Elaine. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me to be with excellent, you. Excellent, excellent. Many thanks for, for joining me today on, on this series. Okay, uh, let's start with this. The, the birth of Roche Canada in 1931 to where it is today. Um, provide my listeners with a brief summary of that journey. Yeah, and you described it really well in your introduction, Elaine. You know, Roche itself, Hoffman La Roche, we're a global company based in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been in business for 125 years, developing diagnostics and medicines for a wide range of chronic and life-threatening health conditions that continue to have an impact and really revolutionize healthcare today. Mm. Swiss-based company that is also family-owned. It's a family-owned company, which also gives us that sense, Elaine, of that long-term perspective and that long-term care about sustainability issues, environmental sustainability, healthcare sustainability, how we work to really improve people's lives around the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And as part of that company, you're right, we began in Roche, Canada in 1931 with six employees. Mm -hmm. And as we were um, coming into 2023, we're actually now close to 2,000 employees, Elaine. Wow. Uh, we're really proud of our 92 years here in Canada and really proud of the fact that we are also considered by our employees one of the great places to work by Glassdoor, both in, in uh, 2021 and mm -hmm. 2022. And when we look at our footprint, as you nicely outlined, we have um, facilities in Laval with Roche Diagnostics and Roche Diabetes Care, mm -hmm. as well as our pharmaceuticals division in Mississauga, Ontario, where, as you pointed out, home to five different areas of yeah. our business um, across local roles and global roles that you pointed out. So we're really proud of our long-term commitment in history here in Canada and around the world, being one of the largest biotech companies mm -hmm. and also a leader in in vitro diagnostics and a front runner in diabetes management. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations on being a great place to work in 2021 and 2022. And it hasn't escaped anybody's attention unless you've been living under a rock, what we were going through at that time. That's so right. to be um, seen as that, uh, that is a, an achievement on top of an achievement. So congratulations on that. Um, let's talk about some of the accomplishments of Roche Canada in 2022, apart from being a great place to work. It, it, yes. it's, it's been a challenging time in the last three years, but um, it would be nice to hear some really positive successes of in recent years with Roche, if you can elaborate yeah, on that. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. And you're right. Let's Let's move from, I think that big accomplishment on Glassdoor is yeah. also so meaningful, Elaine, because it's coming from employees. Yeah. It's their own evaluation of working with us. And as you mentioned, after the challenging years we've had, what a recognition yeah. for us to continue to value and nurture and support the culture that we want to have for employees. And at the end of the day, we know that culture is everything in a business. It is the employees who make the business successful and who make an impact on healthcare in the life sciences. And so we're really proud of that accomplishment. 
It was also 2022, the year that we celebrated 125 years of Hoffman LaRoche globally. And so it really was a year for us to revisit our past, but also reflect on our commitment, our continued commitment to Canada and to our innovative science and, and our commitment to Canadian patients as we go forward. So we are really proud of our accomplishments in 22. When I look back, nearly 250,000 Canadian patients were supported with our medicines across a range of diseases with nearly 2,000 additional patients in clinical trials that we were supporting across the country. And so, you know, a really meaningful impact that we had in 2022. And I think for our employees, for myself, that is ultimately what drives us every day. What purpose do we have? What impact, positive impact can we make on the lives of Canadians? And so for me, that's that's our number one and number two, you know, real big successes of 22, the support that we're giving to Canadian patients mm-hmm. and the meaningful work culture that we're providing to employees. If I go into additional successes, of course, Elaine, we look at our entry into different therapy areas. At the end of the day, Roche Pharma is about making sure Canadians can access new science and innovation in a timely way. And when we think about where we've been in 22, we're really proud of the fact that we entered new therapy area spaces like ophthalmology, mm-hmm. that we continue to evolve our space in oncology through a variety of different Roche treatments and clinical trials. And we also have a large portfolio evolving in rare diseases. And so being able to work with different stakeholders across Mm -hmm. spaces like hemophilia and Mm -hmm. spinal muscular atrophy were really important milestones for us last year. That's excellent. And and once again, what better endorsement than the employees evaluation and feedback of the organization? There you go. And and now the the priorities for 2000 and today, 2023, what are the priorities and goals? Yes, we we continue with the same passion and purpose, which is to make sure that science is reaching Canadians and that the medicines that we are able to bring forward are reaching those who need them, those who deserve them, and, you know, in a in a timely way when they need them. So how do Canadians have access to the medicines they need when they need them? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's ultimately our purpose. Roche is about science. Roche is about patience. How do we make sure that that innovation gets to those who need them? Mm-hmm. It's only strong science if it can reach those who ultimately Um, require that support. And so when we think about 2023 and the priorities, I think one of the big things we learned, Elaine, through COVID is that it's important for healthcare to continue to be a priority. We have to have ambition in healthcare and understand, as we did in the past three years, the importance of health in our daily lives. If we we didn't have strong health, then our economy suffers, our education system suffers. We see the ripple effects. And so for me, continuing to speak to the importance of healthcare as a priority investment area continues to be important in 2023. And we just saw Stats Can release, Statistics Canada release some information on the Canadian R&D mm-hmm. uh, pharmaceutical industry last week. And we looked and we can see now that we contributed over 
15.9 billion to the Canadian economy. We invested as much as 2.4 billion in research and development and are supporting over 100,000 jobs, high value jobs mm -hmm. across the country. And so this industry is important in a multitude of ways. And so that continues to be a priority ensuring in our dialogue we continue to focus on healthcare and support healthcare and with that Elaine comes the work in science it is such an amazing time to work in healthcare to work in science mm. and we are really seeing this convergence of medical knowledge with technology with data science and how it's going to revolutionize research and development and so with that life-changing innovation that's coming it's really important that it can reach those who need it. And so a priority for us continues to be how can Canadians access new science, new medicines that become available. And I have to tell you, Elaine, I am just coming back to Canada after nine years away in the roles that you highlighted at the beginning. And what I'm seeing is that Canadians do not have access to the same medicines at the same speed in the same timely way that others do around the world. And so I look at our access timeframes and I think to myself, what could we be doing in 2023 to meaningfully ensure that Canadians can have access to that science in the same speed and rates and timeliness that we're seeing in Europe, for example, um, and really being able to be part of that dialogue, I think is going to be a priority for us as we move forward as well. And finally, Elaine, I'm really encouraged by the dialogue that I am hearing and seeing of late around um, our health data systems in Canada. Mm -hmm. Having spent nine years now in Europe and seeing how different healthcare systems can bring together health data in a safe, thoughtful, aggregated way that allows for strong public health decisions, that allows for stronger clinical care to take place and allows us to really target research um, as we go forward, I can see that in Canada, this is an area we can continue to improve and we must improve mm -hmm. it and we must mm -hmm. do it in a very timely way. There is no time to waste. And so yeah. seeing all of the conversations that are taking place right now around how we can um, how we can operationalize, connect our health information, what we would call interoperability, really connect it within a province and also connect it across provinces so that we can continue to understand where our healthcare investments make a difference. I think that's going to be critical for our healthcare systems. And that's going to be a key priority for this year as well. Wow. Uh, you sound like someone that's really on a mission. I mean, listening to your answers to this, to that question, I just want to hear the excitement in your voice. I can feel the, the focus. That's important. I think the focus, um, the passion that's coming through all of it and how methodical you are with what, what's going on. Perhaps maybe later on in the year or the year after, we'll have a conversation. I'd love again it. To, to see um, what has been achieved and, and what are you happy about and, and, and what you know quite proud in terms of delivering. Okay, um, you've partly answered the next question, but um, I'm going to put it to you anyway, because this is a slogan 
I read a few times associated with Roche, and it reads as follows, pursuing the impossible for patients. You talked about what's been delivered in Europe, and you talked about how you're going to change things in terms of making it on par in Canada. I'm not quite sure if that is part of the answer to the pursuing the impossible mm. for patients, but you interpret that statement, it's a Roche statement, how you want, what does this mean? Elaine, you know, it means that we don't give up. We don't give up in our industry. Our industry is about pursuing science. It's about pursuing innovation. And sometimes you have wonderful successes and mm -hmm. sometimes you have setbacks. And when we are pursuing the impossible for patients, we don't give up and we keep moving and we work to make sure that science can come forward. And we're proud of our contributions to the scientific landscape with the successes and with those setbacks. And at the same time, our work with patients and for patients is also about how the healthcare system needs to evolve. So it's about how the science evolves and it's about how we understand our different healthcare systems in Canada and work with patients to ensure that we understand their needs, their considerations, that we take their views into account with our research and development. And that when we're having discussions with government about the evolution of healthcare system management and change, that we also understand their perspectives. And so what I'm really proud of Roche Canada and understanding our perspective is the real focus we put on patient inclusivity, right? That concept of nothing for patients without patients mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the importance of partnering with the patient community to understand their everyday lives, what it is like to live with that disease and how we can make a difference from research all the way to um, their ability to access proper diagnostic services to the medicines that are the best for their condition. And so we have different things at Roche Canada, um, like patient councils that we've created, where mm -hmm. we really do bring in the perspective of people living with these diseases and their caregivers right from the beginning so that we can make sure that our support systems, that our efforts are really focused on what is meaningful for those who are ultimately going to benefit from our science. Oh, excellent. Th thanks for that. Uh, let, let's hone in in some of the, the detail a little bit. You, you know, you talked about the science, you talked about the, the, the science, the, sci the marriage of science with um, pharma. Um, you talked about um, healthcare e evolution and in through the conversation, I get this sort of feeling you're talking about the patient's journey and the, the speed of delivery of care. Let's talk about some of the developments in your organization, sort of enlighten my listeners to some of the, the actual innovations in Roche in particular with AI? It's a really important focal area for us, Elaine. I think when I take a step back and think about our healthcare system, we're at this point of inflection, aren't we? In mm -hmm. terms of there is a need for all of us as stakeholders, whether you're in the public sector or the not-for-profit sector or in the private sector, we're at this inflection point where we need to work together with the same passion and commitment that we did during the COVID, the height of the COVID years, in order to turn and help our healthcare systems evolve. Mm -hmm. Our healthcare systems are quite fragile at the moment. So the question yeah. becomes, how do we work together to help stabilize and really bring resilience back into the healthcare system? And one of the ways I fundamentally believe we can do so 
is through health data and with data, data is only as good as the information it is, right, Elaine? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily about the data in alone. It's about the quality of that information. Again, safe, aggregated um, information that is then enabled by artificial intelligence, machine learning solutions, which then allow us to understand what that data is telling us. And through those insights, we then get to make informed decisions about healthcare, data-driven decision-making. And our healthcare system is the ultimate outcome that we're all seeking. And through AI and through machine learning, we then get to understand, did the investments we make in healthcare bring the outcomes we wanted for patients? Are there different places we need to be investing? How can these insights help physicians and healthcare practitioners make strong decisions for their patients and spend the time that they should be spending with patients versus some of the administrative work that they currently have to do. How does AI machine learning help the research community target its research and really get to a place where research is faster, but also stronger and of higher quality because we can continue to move in a more targeted way. And I have to tell you, Elaine, one of the things that I learned coming back to Canada is that this is actually one of Canada's strengths in research. And I didn't know this. Nine years ago when I left, I didn't appreciate our understanding, our research capabilities, our talent in AI and machine learning. And I've come back to Canada to learn that this is actually one of the key areas where Canada stands out internationally. We have these skills and capabilities. We have groups of researchers in Toronto, in Montreal, in Alberta, who have this strength to be able to use AI and machine learning in healthcare, in research. And this is a front runner around the world. And so for us at Roche Canada and at Roche Globally, it's about how we leverage AI and work with partners to really develop our products, to develop stronger science, to really understand where specific biomarkers take us so that we can have um, faster and more responsive treatment as we go forward. And been working, when you talked about some of our global functions here in Mississauga, um, we also have AI Center of Excellence here that works globally out of Mississauga. And we've been partnering with Canadian institutions such as the Alberta Machine uh, Learning and Intelligence Institute. So AMI, we've been working with a Quebec AI Institute, MILA, with Vector Institute for AI here in Toronto, really working together to understand how we solve some of our healthcare, the most complex challenges in healthcare, whether it was COVID-19 all the way to rare neurological conditions. And so I'm just really proud of what that looks like and, and proud that Canada is such a big part of this evolution mm-hmm. in healthcare. And I think when we look to the data issues and our opportunities this year in healthcare and next year and how things have to evolve, I think we're going to be real leaders in Canada around areas like real world evidence and real world data collection, because we'll be able to really understand how our medicines are supporting patients in the real world and then helping us understand where those investments dollars continue to go. And that's that's the whole point of, of strong health data frameworks. And mm-hmm. it's the point of bringing and continuing to grow our capabilities in AI and machine learning. Mm-hmm. So I hope that answers 
some of of what you were looking for in that question. No, it, it, it does in it does indeed. And you, you talked about now and you talked about the sort of the immediate future when you mentioned some of the stuff that's happening next year. But let's continue to look at healthcare in the future, a little bit further down the line. Even if you need to hypothesize, that'd be great. But if there's stuff or data or information that you have, you say, well, this is going to happen in the next two or three years, this is going to happen in the next five years, that'd be great. What are the, the enablers that perhaps that you have not even mentioned to ensure the right decisions? Um, of healthcare in the future? Elaine, I think, I think we are at this crossroads. The moment to be investing in healthcare and working together to evolve our healthcare systems is now. It is the work that we do this year, next year, to really help put us back on this path where our healthcare systems in Canada become the envy of the world once again. Mm -hmm. And what we do in the next two years is going to set up the future of our healthcare system. And where I'm encouraged and where I think we have to continue to evolve is to understand the role that technology can play in a positive way in helping to enhance and enable our healthcare systems. And I know sometimes we think with technology, it is replacing people, it is replacing roles. Mm. And in this case, when we think about the importance of health data infrastructure, when we think about the importance of connecting our health data systems and working with artificial intelligence and machine learning, it is about how it enables our healthcare practitioners, our healthcare leaders to make the decisions required mm -hmm. for the future. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I think about the future of healthcare, it is going to be about how we work together to really strengthen our understanding of health data down the path of discussion I'm reading now. I think we're in, we're in a really good place. I would encourage us to not lose any time mm. in this space. There is a complete movement in Europe around the European health data space, and they mm -hmm. too are looking at how they can continue to enhance their health data systems in order to connect and make the right decisions of the future, but also in order to capture and continue to grow their investments in the life sciences sector. And that's also an area where we have to think about in healthcare. I want us, Elaine, in Canada to have ambition in our healthcare system. I want us to work all together because we believe that our healthcare systems can be strong again, can be that envy of the world. And we have to have that joint ambition together. And to do that, we really have to think about how science makes its way to those who need it. And really think about the, the life sciences sector and how it can continue to grow. We saw what we could do in the past three years when we worked with a common objective and when we worked all together yes. with yes. very clear roles and responsibilities. And I think we can continue down that same path when it comes to patient access to new medicines. Mm -hmm. Can, you know, in Canada, patients are waiting much longer than we see other patients in developed Western European countries. By two years, Elaine, we are waiting longer compared to, for example, the Belgian system that I just left. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, we should be working in a way that allows Canadians to access that same medicine in the same timely manner. And that's going to take all of us coming around the table and seeing what we can do as committed partners. Yeah, yeah. When we look at our policies, our regulations, our, our priorities. I also think 
we can do a lot to look at the future science and really understand if our current processes are efficient enough, whether they are moving in harmony to really bring that science through in, in the best way forward. And let me give you a few examples. I think about gene therapy and cell therapy. These are large areas where our science is moving across the industry. And the question becomes, how do our current policies, mm. whether it's a Health Canada review, whether it is a health technology assessment, whether it is distribution or manufacturing, how are these different elements in Canada being considered now, now for science that's coming in four, five, six years? Because we can't wait for it to be science that's ready and then start to adapt policies. <laughs> we need to be working now as partners to understand how that future science reaches Canadians. And I'm really proud, for example, Elaine, of the work that we're doing with Columbia. Um, it's a project called PREDICT and we're working with the BC Cancer Agency and the Canadian Personalized Healthcare Innovation Network, which we call CFIN, to really look at areas like real world evidence and how do we work together to build evidence frameworks to assess to assess medicines into the future? So when we have dialogue with government, we really want to be able to collect information so that we can demonstrate that our medicines fulfilled the promise of our clinical trials. And so how do we work together, for example, now to be able to set up the frameworks that are necessary in the next year or two to be able to have those really thoughtful, comprehensive discussions with government about the investments that they're making in new medicines. Mm -hmm. So that's an example, Elaine, where at the end of the day, the decisions that we're making in the next two years are going to set up the healthcare systems of the future. And so it's really important that we think about the positive role technology can play, the important role of having data-driven systems, and then how partnership is going to really be the advantage we can have in Canada by bringing all of us together mm -hmm. in a real uh, sense of strength with common objectives so that we can make sure at the end of the day, we all have the same objective. We want Canadians to have the best healthcare system systems they can have and to have access to the science that is there for all of us. So how do we do that together? That's my, that's my wish. That's my ambition for the next two years. All I can hear is what's going through my head is better together, better together, and better together in partnerships. I think if the if there's a silver lining in the pandemic, it, it showed us that um, we can collaborate together and we can collaborate successfully together. So you know we should take that learnings and, as you put it, move forward with that. Do not lose that momentum and move forward it with it. Um, you, you talked about understanding the the role that technology can play as part of the moving forward um what do how is the boom in sort of med tech and biotech influencing the next steps brush will take or are you taking these steps and then looking to see what tech can meet them what's influencing what if that makes any sense yeah, it does make sense. I think, you know, for Roche, we follow the science. We follow where science takes us. And that is our own scientific progress with our own research bodies. And it is also about partnering with medtech and biotech companies to also understand where they're headed and where we can find synergies together. So, 
you know, at the end of the day, our, our model for partnership and research is to follow the best science we can find. We're really proud, for example, Elaine, of our partnership with a biotech company in Montreal, Repair Therapeutics, and really looking at next generation oncology medicines. And this is a large partnership. And we're just so proud that one of our largest partnerships across mm -hmm. the Roche Group is here in Montreal. Mm -hmm. But I think to your point, it is this pivotal moment, isn't it, in the history yeah. of healthcare and in the history of science. We're, we're at this place, Elaine, where science is evolving faster than it ever has. And we are seeing um, medicines, diagnostic uh, technology, we're seeing all of it converge. And it's just such an exciting time to be in the life sciences. And let me give you a couple of examples. You think about where oncology is headed and we're no longer talking about a particular oncology of a body part. Science is taking us to a place where we are talking about tumor agnostic medicines. And what does that mean? That means we're talking about the genetic expression of a tumor and we are able to break it down that way. And so it isn't about breast cancer or colon cancer. It is about what kind of expression, genetic expression is in your tumor. And then we treat that tumor type, whether it be anywhere in your body, that's where we're headed. And so, you know, how does our system continue to evolve to really keep up with that kind of wonderful science mm -hmm. and that, and that, that personalized science and the science that is bringing us closer and closer to early intervention, to preventative care, to care in the home. That's where science is taking us. And, and we saw that, didn't we, with COVID? We saw yeah. how diagnostic services could be taken at home. Point of care is what we would call it. Mm -hmm. And how we could really think as Canadians, could science and medicines start to help us with the pressures that we're seeing in our hospitals and take us out of hospitals and bring care closer to home. And that's where we're headed. And that's where at the end of the day, really understanding where biotech is headed with new science, where med tech is headed with new diagnostic services. And then again, coming back to that place of ambition. Do we believe that healthcare is worth investing in? And if we do, what ambition do we have for our healthcare systems? And I believe that Canada has everything that it needs in order to put the right pieces together. We have smart scientists, we have great universities, we have diverse populations, we have a real sense of how partnerships work across the public sector, the not-for-profit sector and the private sector. And I believe we have, we have a variety of leaders in healthcare who want to work together to really make a positive impact for patients into the future. So, I think if you can put all of us together and understand yep. where that science is leading us, where AI is leading us, where machine learning is leading us, I think we're going to look back five years from now and be really proud of the work we did. Mm. I think we're not even going to recognize healthcare. If, we look, if we're in five years time and we're looking back, we're gonna think, how did we manage that way? I can just imagine that. I think, you know, this series is largely sort of a, um, newer tech and newer science and uh, I'm just fascinated by this tech at the moment and I think you mentioned that you talked about personalized solutions which some of the guests uh, have talked about and another thing you've talked about which they all talk about in terms of the speed of the science at the moment is um, on parallel 
and this is quite a new and sort of uncharted waters that we're stepping in. Just wonder briefly, if you can, before we move on to the next question, what role do you think neuroscience and neurotech will play? It's going to play a large role um, into the future. I think when we look at, I think when we look at demographics around the world, Elaine, and then mm -hmm. if we look at demographics here in Canada, we know that we have an aging population in Canada. We know, I think that it's roughly 7 million Canadians are already over the age of 65, and that will continue to grow in years to come. And therefore, that means that that neurosciences, that neurological conditions related to aging and so on, they will continue to play a significant role in our considerations in the healthcare of the future. We need to be working together now to understand the pressures of an aging population on our healthcare systems. And we need to understand how we want to help our Canadian patients age gracefully and independently and with the quality of life that they deserve, that we all deserve. And so I think it is just such an interesting time to be working in the neurosciences. And, and Roche, um, you know, we're really proud. We're now the number one company in neurosciences. And so our research, our clinical trials, it is our diagnostics. It is all about how we can bring the highest quality um, into these spaces, and they really are of high medical need at the moment, where we have very limited options or older options, Elaine, in this space. Mm -hmm. And so whether it be multiple sclerosis, whether it be spinal muscular atrophy, whether it's Parkinson's, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, mm -hmm. these are all areas where we are currently exploring as a company and where we believe that we can continue to bring scientific rigor and understanding. Mm -hmm. And now the question becomes, Elaine, how does that science get to those who need it? It's very complicated in neuroscience. It's not as straightforward in terms of biomarkers and endpoints as it is in other therapy areas, or at least we don't have the same experience as a healthcare community. Um, in that space mm -hmm. from a public health perspective. So how do we work together from, um, you know, as a, as a team across, again, public sector, not-for-profit sector, private sector, how do we understand how our healthcare systems need to evolve in order to really support the medicines that are coming and how do we support the number of Canadians who are going to be facing these neurological diseases in the years to come? As we as we live longer, we will face more of these diseases. And so how do, again, do we do that in a way where we're supporting people to have the best possible quality of life that they can have for the longest time frame that we can have it? And so for me, the question of neuroscience is both a scientific one and it's also about healthcare system evolution and resilience. And how do we make sure our policies, our laws, our regulations are set up for mm. that science to come? Mm. Let's end this episode of Heads Talk on leadership. Um, whether you're aware or not, this podcast is all about talking to C-suites and predominantly CEOs from multinational organizations. And we've all through this conversation, we've we've referenced the pandemic. You know, this has been a testing time and leadership has been tested during this pandemic. Uh, so there's been a lot of unknowns, uncertainties and even helplessness. And leaders had to navigate their way through all of this. So how do you think healthcare leaders in particular 
Um, how do you think a healthcare leadership has morphed um, since the pandemic? What has changed forever? You know, it's a great, it's a great point. And I've reflected on it a lot in terms of how did my own leadership change? What was expected of me as a healthcare leader? What did I see from leaders around the world? Um, you know, I think the biggest change for me was that we saw leadership become, or at least empathetic and authentic mm -hmm. leadership become the true requirements of, of helping an organization get through those really difficult years, those first years, because we're not out of, we're not out of COVID, right, Elaine? We mm -hmm. still are learning mm -hmm. to live and, and adapt and understand how to lead through this disease. But those first few years where we did not have the answers, I think you used the word helplessness, where we didn't know what was happening. We didn't appreciate the disease enough yet. We really, as leaders, had to be thoughtful and empathetic and authentic with um, our colleagues and our employees and understand that there were fears that people were afraid that everyone was trying to balance family life, work mm. life, and that we were invading almost people in their home space <laughs> because we were all working from home. And what did that mean? And how, how did we react? It wasn't about pushing people for more productivity and pushing towards the bottom line. It was about giving people a space to feel safe, to understand that we were going through it together, that we were ensuring that their, their well-being was at the front and center of our leadership and that they were cared for as individuals. And, you know, for me, what I saw as a silver lining, Elaine, is that this is where the leadership of women stood out. Mm -hmm. And that women for many years, Elaine, you know, we have this perception that we are emotional leaders, that we are, um, you know, that we, that we have to balance, we're constantly balancing family life and work mm -hmm. life. These are skills we have honed, the multitasking we have honed for years. And all of a sudden COVID came and we knew, we knew as women leaders how to care, how to be empathetic, how to be authentic. We knew how to balance. I'm not saying we did it perfectly. What mm -hmm. I'm saying is we had practice with all of these elements and these types of leadership skills have stood out. And so what we saw were female leaders, really the, the skills, the, the expectations, all of these pieces came flourishing to the forefront. And I'm really hopeful, Elaine, that we continue on this path. I think employees are, are looking for their leaders to be real and to be transparent and to be genuine in how they approach their work um, and to bring that compassion to work every day. And I think that that's certainly what changed for me is all of those elements that I was trying to balance and temper came to the forefront. Yeah. And I don't think I can go back to being any other leader than who I am every day. And I'm not perfect every day, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But I do bring myself and my challenges and my home life and my, you know, the, the family struggles as much as my care for employees to the forefront. And we started our discussion, Elaine, talking about our work culture and, and hopefully we end it there too, because at the end of the day, there's nothing more important than 
than a culture in your business and in a culture in your organization. And that culture is nurtured and it is, it is thoughtful and it is not something you take for granted, it's something you work at every day as a leader, but also as a base of employees. And so, you know, that I think that's what's come to the forefront throughout COVID with leadership is how do we bring our whole selves to work? How do we create the culture that we all deserve to have? And how do we do it together? Mm -hmm. I, I think I, I like your answer. I, I really like your answer because it's been different to a lot of the, the answers that I received for a similar question in which you talked about certain traits that were once considered in quote secondary came to the fore and now it's considered one of the most important traits at the time when it was at the heightened part of the pandemic and going forward. My sub question, which I had no, no plans to ask us, but I want to ask you is, you said you were hopeful that it continues down that road. And me being sort of a, a, a skeptic thinks at some point, the memory of the pandemic would fade, the concerns of the shareholders will, will pivot, and then something like this would be forgotten. Am I wrong in thinking that way? Or am I being too cynical? I think, Elaine, when we chat again in a year and a half from now, I think that's one of the questions we'll have to look back on and see. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm more of an optimist, Elaine, in terms of the glass is always half full for me. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, Peter Drucker kind of said it himself, right? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. So <laughs> at the end of the day, for all of us to be successful, it is about happy employees and a happy organization that's able to bring this forward and that's what's going to bring success for our business that's what's going to bring success for our employees mm -hmm. and that's what's going to bring real positive impact to our healthcare systems is when we're all working together because we believe that this is mm -hmm. this is the future and it's it's going to be by all of us bringing bringing our real authentic selves to the table. Mm -hmm. Healthcare is way too complex to really think one part of yeah. the industry can solve it on its own. And so to do that, we're all going to have to understand what leadership and authentic and genuine leadership means and then bring ourselves around the table to get it solved. Mm. So let's 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 bring that question back in, in 18 months, <laughs> I, really I think do. was your invitation, Elaine, and see yeah. what happens. Yes, I will, I will. Bridget and Elaine, it's been an absolute pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you very much, Elaine. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.